The singing of the doxology by the PCC student body begins Pensacola Christian College Chapel. At each chapel service, students have an opportunity to receive spiritual exhortation and enrichment during a time of music and meditation on God's Word. This podcast shares selected recent chapel messages from guest speakers, faculty, and staff. Welcome to the PCC Chapel Podcast. Matthew chapter 6, verse number 24, and if you would turn there, that would be a great blessing. No man can serve two masters. Rather, he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Therefore, I say unto you, take no thought for your life what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor yet for your body what you shall put on. Is not the life more than meat, and the body more than raiment? Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are you not much better than they? Which of you by taking thought can add one cubit unto his stature? Why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. I will stop the reading there for time's sake, and I want to speak for a few moments on what I feel is one of the most important subjects in the Christian life. To be honest, I was saved for many years. I came out of a rough background. I was not blessed to go as a young man to a wonderful school like this until a bit later in life. But when God saved me and changed my life, I can't really say I heard much about what I'd like to speak to you on on the subject this morning. I can't say that anyone ever addressed this issue and said, Lou, if you'll take care of this, this will really help you and help you to stabilize in your Christian life and become steady and grow the way God wants in the path of the just, which is as a shining light that shineth more and more under the perfect day. I would grow and then struggle, grow and then struggle. I go forward, then go backward some. I would have great times of progress and spiritual growth that all of a sudden I would stagnate until I started learning about the most important thing and perhaps one of the most important areas of the Christian life. Do you know that the greatest problem you have, the biggest problem you have, is, well, it's my roommate. If you had a roommate like mine, you'd have problems too. Well, it's one of my faculty professors. You would fall asleep too if you were in their class. Well, it's my little brother or my little sister. How many of you have a little brother? Could I see your hands? How many of you have an annoying little brother? All right. And how many of you have a little sister? Could I see your hand? And you have a little sister who is a professional snitcher. She gets you into trouble. And man, uh, all right, worse. I didn't have a little brother. I had three older brothers. How many of you have older brothers? And I had three And I can tell you that uh, we probably need to have a support group meeting after service today. But 
The biggest problem in life, it's not our brother, not our sister, it's not our mom or dad. He said, well, I had a helicopter mom. She hovered over my life everywhere and everything I did. Yes. And guess what you're going to be one of these days? You're going to be helicopter mom 2.0. But you understand, you might have had overbearing parents. You might have had overzealous people around you. They're, they're the biggest problem. No. The biggest problem and the greatest problem area of your life is only about that long. It's the distance between one ear to the other. And the greatest area of you ha- that you have in your life is your thoughts. Do you understand that there are two kinds of people in this room? Those who have bad thoughts and liars. Do you get that? We all struggle with our thought life. We all struggle from time to time. And I want to speak for a few moments about your mind. I'm going to speak this morning and tomorrow morning about what I call having a master mind. I'm not talking about to become uh, Fisher or Spatsky, become one of the greatest chess players that ever uh, played the game. I'm not talking about becoming the next uh, uh, the next Tesla owner, the next Elon Musk who has the greatest mind uh, in uh, geophysics or whatever it would be. I'm talking about a person who has learned how to get their mind under the mastery and lordship of Jesus Christ himself. Our Lord said no man can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and, and, and love, the, love the one and hate the one and love the other, or hold the one and despise the other, you cannot serve God and mammon. I want to speak on the subject of a master mind. Father, help us this morning as we learn the Word of God. May you give us grace and power as our prayer. May we hear from thee. Thank you. And may may you find receptive hearts and minds. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our Lord Jesus was not far from the Sea of Galilee. He was in a place not far from Capernaum, a city that was located, a town or a village on the northern part of the Sea of Galilee. If you were to go to Capernaum and go west just a little ways around uh, the bank of the Sea of Galilee, you would find a beautiful hillside coming right up out of the Sea of Galilee that is now known as the Mount of the Beatitudes. It was there that the Lord Jesus lifted up his voice and spoke to the multitudes who had gathered together to hear the gracious words that proceeded out of his lips. He began giving these incredible and wonderful uh, thoughts from God and these uh, principles from God where he began to deal and teach them how high God's thoughts are in comparison to ours. He saw the multitudes and he sat and his disciples came into him and he opened his mouth saying, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn for they shall be comforted. Blessed are they who are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. And he began this wonderful portion of the Bible. Several years ago, my wife and I were in Israel We had a wonderful trip, 
and the tour guide uh, leader said, when we get to the Mount of the Beatitudes, if one of you would like to read the Beatitudes there, that would be great. There was a young lady on the bus. She said, he's a pastor. He can read it. And I began to read this wonderful chapter of the Bible. And frankly, I couldn't get through the second or third verse. I started weeping as I thought about the Lord Jesus Christ standing there and the, or seated there and that crowd gathered around him as he gave these incredible thoughts from heaven for you and I. It was a wonderful picture of that God's thoughts are not our thoughts. As the heavens are high above the earth, so are his ways higher than ours. Now he is coming down to some application of some of the great teaching of the Sermon on the Mount. And he begins to speak about and, and challenge them about this matter that no man can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will cleave to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. He was dealing with our relationship to the world. He was dealing with our relationship to things. He was dealing with the fact that God wants us to serve Him and love Him wholeheartedly and to love Him with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and with all of our what? Say it. Our mind. He wants us to have a mind that has stayed on Him, a mind that is cleansed and washed and now give it over for the glory of God. I began to write down some things from this sermon and other portions of the Bible, and he mentions at least five areas of our thought life. What do we think about the most? He starts right away with this matter, first of all, of food. He said in verse 25, I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat, what you should drink, neither yet for your body what you should put on. How many at least once this morning have thought about food? Can I see your hands? How many you consider yourself a professional foodie, all right? And uh, man, I like food. I got saved by the grace of God uh, back in 1975, and God changed my life and heart. I came out of a bad lifestyle, and I started getting right, and I thought, man, I can't do much of anything anymore. I gave up all the bad stuff I was involved in. I didn't know there were wonderful things for us to enjoy. There's sports. There's other things, but brother, I found out one thing Baptists do, Baptists like food. And everywhere I go, pastors would take me out to eat. You like to go to here, Olive Garden. Uh, how about the uh, uh, Red Lobster and all the other places in between? And so I like food, and it's a wonderful thing. And we all think about food. You don't have to work it up. You don't have to put in your note cards and on your uh, bullet list for the day. Think about food at about 1130. Trust me, it'll come to your mind sooner or later. We think about food. We think about fashion. We think about what we're going to wear. So we uh, go through our wardrobe. Does this match? Does it does not? Wear? And I think it's a good thing to look appropriate for whatever occasion we're involved in. Years ago, Dr. Lee Robertson was in our church, and I, I said, Dr. Robertson, he was a great preacher, a great man of God. Why do you always wear a double-breasted suit, navy blue, and uh, never wear anything but a white shirt and a tie? He said, very simple. Don't have to think about it. Wear the same thing every day. He would put his ties in line 
line and go through a circuit, uh, he would just cycle through and never have to think about what I'm going to wear. How many of you thought about this morning? What am I going to wear today? Can I see your hands? And, uh, yes. And uh, some of you should have thought about it. But anyway, what do we think about? And what do we think about the most? We think about food. We think about fashion. We certainly regularly, we think about fitness and we think about our faith. Verse number 30, he said, ye, he mentioned, uh, if God so clothe the grass of the field, which today is, tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall we not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? We think about finances. We think about finances much more, much more than we're aware. I know people who check their, uh, go online and check out their checking account balance at least four and five times a day. Some others more. They look at their investments and see how the stock market is doing, whether it's up or down this week. So we're constantly looking at things like this. And then, of course, we think much, verse 34, about our future. Take no thought for the morrow. Don't think about tomorrow. Does that mean that we're supposed to live a nebulous, mindless existence and don't think about anything? Perhaps we're just supposed to walk around like spiritual zombies that came out of the Black Lagoon and just walk around and say, I don't know what I'm going to know. We certainly have a mind God has given us. It should be active. It should be proactive, in fact, but not to the place where we're constantly worried and fearful about what we're going to do, where we're going to go, who we're going to marry, what it's going to be. I went to Bible college uh, after living a bad lifestyle, and I finally finished my education and went to Bible college, and all the way there I said, Lord, please, please give me the right girl to marry. Please give me the right girl. Boy, I pulled up in the Bible college and walked into the foyer for the meet and greet with everybody and the new students. And, and I was looking around, scanning, and I thought, where is she? Where's the girl? I would look at a girl, and they go, oh, they run away. You could see I had a little sign. I am a weirdo. I'm looking for a wife. I'm a potential stalker. Stay away. So I, I literally, uh, I, I just struck out everywhere. Then I looked across the room, and I saw this girl. Wow. She looketh good to me. And I I mean, I thought to myself, she is beautiful. What a girl. And I sort of made my way over there to, uh, you know, very casually just meet her. And just as I did, a guy stepped in front of me. He was a a Missouri State uh, high hurdle champion. He was a 4A football player. He was a running back. I mean, a big stout guy. And I mean, he just stood right there. Hey, how you doing? He met her and I just kind of stood behind her. I was trying so hard to get to know this girl. We had a football game and I thought, this is it. Uh, I'll show her in my football skills. And uh, that guy came around the corner. I was playing safety. He literally ran me over and used me for traction. And I looked up and she was standing there. Oh, very good. I thought, this is never going to work. Boy, he would preach and the guy had big muscles and he would preach with a short sleeve shirt, tight on purpose. You know the guy I'm talking about? And I mean, he'd preach, you young people tonight, you need God, amen? And I mean, he'd do like that. And uh, then I'd say, young people, you need the Lord, amen? But I mean, it just wasn't working. But we prayed and sought the Lord, and God put us into a Bible college together. It wasn't long before we eventually began to know each other and became friends, and then good friends, and then best friends, and then yippee, and then we got married, amen? So the Lord put us together, and I thought about her a lot, 
But frankly, till I finally said, Lord, you're in charge of my future. You know the right person that I'm supposed to marry. You have someone out here for me. And I'm sure that Susan did that as well. And God put us together. He knows exactly what you're supposed to do and where you're supposed to go and where you're supposed to serve. He said not to worry about future. Now, there are many things I need to share, and I'll get to those tomorrow. But I want to say that, first of all, at salvation, God gives us a brand new mind. Second Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, God said, For God hath not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. In Romans 12, 2, you know the verse, he said, Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. In fact, Titus talks about uh, the regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost and the renewing of the mind. So God changes us and gives us a brand new mind at salvation. The Bible talks about a few things. First of all, there is the power of the mind. God says in Proverbs 23, 7, as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. Do you know that you are the personification of your thought life? Do you know that you are becoming exactly the way you think and visualize life to be. There are some people that uh, they're incarcerated today. You ask them, what happened? I don't know, it just happened. No, people get in trouble because they think the wrong way. Their mind is given over to the wrong things and there's a great power of your mind. God speaks about the purity of your mind. He wants you to keep a mind that is pure, and, and free and cleansed from sin. In fact, Philippians 4.8, the, the writer said, finally, brethren, I love the Apostle Paul. He used the word finally all the time. And he was a good preacher. And just like your pastor and just like most of us, we'll say finally at least two or three times in a sermon. But he said, finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, Whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are good report. Listen, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, what? Think on these things. I wonder how that verse would line up to some of the violence and ungodliness and satanic viewing that's on television today and people that have filled their minds with doom and death and gloomy thoughts. And so there's this purity of the mind. Now the problems of our mind are several. Your mind is at warfare. There is a warring for the mind. You don't have to jump in and say, I wanna go to war. Your mind is a battlefield and it's always involved in either spiritual or mental warfare. God said in, in Romans 7, 23, uh, Paul said, I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind, bringing me into captivity, the law of sin in my members. He was saying, I've got a conflict. I'm struggling. I'm fighting. I'm battling all the time. I grew up in a very negative environment, to be frank. I grew up in an environment that was not godly. It wasn't wholesome. I love my parents, they were wonderful people. They got saved later in life and God changed their lives. And yet there was a lot of conflict and struggle 
and strife there in my home. My parents stuck together and they never divorced and never quit and all that. And we had eight kids, a big Italian family, and it was a loud place. My poor wife, when we went home to, for her to meet my family, she said, wow, your family is really loud. <laughs> and they are, man. I mean, we have a great time. But there's a warfare going on. It's a battle. And it's right here. And it's all the time. And then God speaks about a wicked mind. You don't ever want to be identified as a person who has a wicked mind. God said in Proverbs 21, 27, the sacrifice of the wicked is abomination. How much more when he bringeth it with a wicked mind? That's somebody who can never get his mind together. This is someone who can never have her mind in line with God. And I think many times some of the disorders that young people are facing today, some of the problems they have, they all occur up here. They begin here, and they've never reined it in of this wickedness of the mind. God wants us to master these things. Now, a master mind, I'll give you two or three things that will be done. Number one is a willing mind. This is a mind that says, I want Christ to master, to control, to direct my life. In fact, in 1 Chronicles 28, 9, God said to Solomon, my son, know thou the God of thy father and serve him with a perfect heart and with a willing mind. We're not here under compulsion. We're not here because we have to be. He said, well, yes, I am. I have to be in charge. I get all that. But overall, we're here because we want to be. We have a desire to go to church and serve Christ because he is a worthy master, because he is one who is not a taskmaster, but a Lord-worthy master that wants to have good control and direction of our life. So we willingly are serving him a willing mind. We must have a working mind. When you sit around and do nothing, you're going to get in trouble. Help me out. An idle mind is the what? Help me out. An idle mind is the what? Devil's workshop. You might not have heard that. That phrase might have been thrown out like everything else. But I'm saying that when you're sitting around doing nothing and you're not filling your mind with good things, I can assure you, you'll get a load of things in there that you do not want. So a working mind, God said in Nehemiah 4, 6, the people had a mind to work and they got it done. I'll skip a few, but I want to say that there is a worshiping mind, a mind that is given over to God, that God said we're to love him with all of our heart and soul, <laughs> with all of our mind, to think about him. Now, I want to end up on these several steps, and I'll give you the rest tomorrow. To have a master mind, there are four important things, and I'll give you those tomorrow, but I'll start on those today. First of all, there's the girding. There's the girding of your mind. You know what God says to us? Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober. Hope to the end for the grace that has been brought into you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. One writer said, girding is a metaphor derived from the practice of the Orientals who in order to be unimpeded in their movement were accustomed 
starting a journey or engaging any work to bind their long flowing robes closely around their bodies and fasten them with a leather belt. This is what God is speaking about when he says, stand therefore having your loins girt about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness. You got to rein your mind in. You have to grasp what comes in. You have to cut off negative and evil influence. And you have to, by the grace of God, say, Lord, I'm going to gird this and start girding it and guarding my mind. There's the guarding of the mind. I'm going to protect the mind that God has given to me. God said, above all, take in the shield of faith where you should be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. And these thoughts come at us and they come from nowhere. You're no good. You'll never be any good. You certainly are not saved. You can't serve Christ. After all, everybody's a hypocrite. And they would soak their shield in water, their leather shield, and they would hold it above themselves. And every time a dart came in, it would quench it right away, these fire darts. And God wants us to quench these thoughts by guarding our minds. Nobody likes me. You have the shield of faith. That's gone before it ever gets a chance to get inside. You're not good enough. Yes, I am. I'm more than a conqueror through him that loved us. You don't look good enough. You're not handsome enough. You're not pretty enough. Man looketh on the outward appearance, but God looketh on the heart. And understand today, you and I can guard, we can gird, we can guide the minds that God has given to us. You've been listening to a message from Pensacola Christian College Chapel. You're welcome to pass this sermon along to others. Please don't charge for it or alter it without written permission from Pensacola Christian College. For additional information about PCC, visit us online at pcci.edu. Pensacola Christian College, empowering Christian leaders to influence the world for Christ.